Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew.
Hello and thank you for joining me again this week. This radio show was conceived with a dual purpose in mind, to enlighten and entertain my listeners with stories of my personal experiences and lessons from my Toltec shamanic path. In past shows, I have experimented with various teaching techniques to help those who are interested in walking a path of personal enlightenment in hopes that it might guide those who are interested. Upon careful consideration, I have come to the conclusion that the feasibility of teaching important shamanic techniques is far too weak for this media, and uh, many important aspects may be missed. So, instead of boggling your mind with too many scientific facts or complicated shamanic techniques in these shows, I am going to offer my personal stories and adventures in hopes of stimulating your imagination and enticing you to learn more in your own ways. I will find a way to bring the teachings and secret knowledge of my lineage as well as my scientific research to you in a different format that is more conducive to learning, perhaps in books or news blogs. In the meantime, I will continue to share with you the more passionate and adventurous side of my research in Shamanic Path with stories of personal experiences that will hopefully keep you coming back for more. After all, this show was made for you and your entertainment. In this show, I am going to share with you my very first head-to-head confrontation with an intelligent, hostile entity that nearly took my life. This all happened in the early 1970s when I was young, passionate about adventure, and very foolish with absolutely no shamanic training or knowledge of how to protect myself. This story will start off with an example of how there must be a balance between science and our metaphysical world because we are creatures with a reasoning mind driven by an emotional engine. In my news from the lab segment, I will be talking about some of the items with energetic attachments that I will be mentioning in this story. I will also be talking about haunted items with strong residual attachments that I acquired from the Goldfield Hotel in Goldfield, Nevada back in the winter of 1972. I will then discuss a new technique I've developed for measuring residual hauntings and attachments in both buildings and in objects. This is accomplished by a device I call the paramagnetic resonance meter. So without further ado, Let me start the spooky background music. There we go. That should set the mood. This music was provided to me, compliments of the Midnight Syndicate. A link to their website can be found on my webpage, www.theshamansbrew.com. Now, let's take a trip into the past. One would think that Having a workable scientific model of the magical principles involved with spellcasting, healings, spirit communication, psychic abilities, astral projection, divination, or other spiritual or magical phenomenon would prove nothing but beneficial. However, it has come to my attention that there are pros and cons to such a knowledge base. The benefits of having complete knowledge of a force or magical procedure are simple. 
Knowledge is power. The more you know and understand about a person, a force, or an object, the more control you have over it. This is why we often protect ourselves by taking on magical names and have done so for centuries. The great magicians and holy people of the past knew that to know the true name of someone or thing meant control. You cannot control an entity, demonic or otherwise, without knowing its true name. This being said, we must also consider that many of us were drawn to a magical path because of the mystery, the romance, and the excitement that embraces us as we raise our wands or wield our swords in magical conjurations and spiritual invocations. The adrenaline high that feeds our primal instincts during ritual becomes the trigger to a spiritual gateway that infuses us with the power that we call magic. It is when we stand in circle on a hilltop surrounded by trees, bathed in the energetic silver light of the full moon, and we feel a gentle wind blowing our hair or caressing our skin, that we fully understand why we walk this wonderful magical path. It's the mystery, the romance of each magical moment that our souls lust for. This is the motivating force behind our magical universe. And therefore, I have decided to change some things in my show. In place of revealing the principles and methods involved with the science of magic, I have decided to place the emphasis on the passion and the mystery of this magical world we share. I will be doing this by sharing with you many of uh, my own adventures and magical lessons as taught to me by the Toltec Shaman who took me under his wing for eight years, showing me a world that I could not have possibly imagined. His lessons were sometimes comical and sometimes terribly frightening. Eluding my logic and igniting my emotions, he gave me more than just a peek beyond the veil. He catapulted me head first into other realities that filled me with awe and respect as I began to understand that the world we surround ourselves with for the most of part of our waking lives is but a shadow of the grandeur that lies just right there at the edge of perception. It is of this that I will speak is sharing with you what I was so fortunate to experience. This and a few other stories that I will throw in from time to time, all in hopes of stimulating your imaginations with the mysteries around us. In this show, I would like to share with you one of my very first magical experiences with an entity from the other side. I will present it to you complete with horrors, excitement, idiotic blunders, and comical events that combined gave me my first real lesson about things that go bump in the night. It was in the early 1970s, and I just graduated from high school when I decided to take a year off before going to college to explore the world in hopes of finding an adventure. I got an opportunity to go help manage a large antique and gun store in one of the most energetic magical towns in the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Man, there wasn't a force on earth that could have contained me. So I was off to have an adventure, which turned out to be many. The store was awesome. Set up with part of the set from the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, it was huge, and all the walls were made of synthetic adobe brick, which really created an atmosphere of times long ago. We even had a very lifelike, full-sized mannequin of a Native American that was posable, and often I set him in different chairs and placed objects in his hands. One time I got in trouble for doing this. I left him in front of the door with a shotgun in his lap, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a call from the Las Vegas PD wanting to know if the gun in the dummy's hand was loaded. And I said, sure it is. It has a dummy round in it. No sense of humor they had that night. Anyway, Cochise, as I named him, had a ceramic head and long braided black hair that was so real looking that many times I would catch customers saying hello to it and then getting embarrassed when they realized what it was. I named him Cochise because that was who he looked like. The owner had just purchased a collection, or rather stockpile, of 4,000 old military firearms dating from the 1800s all the way up to the Vietnam War. It was my job to clean all of them and make sure they all worked and was safe to fire, which at the time I thought was totally cool. But in retrospect, I realized that I was the equivalent to a test-fire dummy. I always wondered why my boss would sidestep out of the room as I was about to fire a hundred-year-old rifle. And what can I say? I was 18 and stupid. I was just as fascinated with the many antiques that filled our store. I think it was because for as long as I can remember, I've been psychometric. Please note, I said psychometric, not psychotic. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the term, it means that I can sense things about where an object has been or about the person that handled it just by touching it. So to work in an antique store was quite an experience with a thousand stories calling out at your fingertips. This was not always a good thing. There were some things in the store that made me sad and some things that made me feel rage when I held them. One such thing was an old Roman sword that I fell in love with and I had to have, but found whenever I held it, I became angry and anger is just not part of me. So I had to sell it back to the store. Things were for the most part great and I loved it but a series of events started taking place that would soon change all that. It all started when we received a very large old bar and back bar from the 1880s, complete with mirrors, bullet holes, and what I still think was blood on top of the bar. It came from an old closed down saloon in Montana that was rumored to be rather rowdy in its day. About two weeks later, my brother, who was also there for a while, was talking to me, and I had my back to the bar, 
which sat in the far corner of the store right in front of the door as it led to the back bathroom. He was in the middle of speaking and suddenly stopped, turned as white as a ghost. He couldn't speak at first, and I said, What's wrong? Turning behind me to look and seeing nothing. He said a ghost just appeared at the bar dressed in old clothes and a cowboy hat and boots. He said it stood up, turned to the left, and walked right through the closed doors that led to the bathroom area. Thinking that he was kidding and trying to pull a fast one, I said, Hmm, I guess even for a ghost, when you gotta go, you gotta go. He didn't laugh, and that's when I realized that uh, he must have really saw something. After a moment, okay, okay, after several moments, we quietly made our way over to the closed door that led into what we called the ammunition room because we had a million rounds of ammunition stored there. At the far end of the room was a door that led into the bathroom. I grabbed the doorknob and turned and pushed the door and it did a classic haunted house creak that sent chills up both our backs. I stepped through the door and noticed that uh, there was an incredible heat in the room. Our store had evaporating water coolers that worked up to about 90 degrees and after that they only seemed to make it humid as well as hot. It was 110 degrees outside so the room was hot and muggy. I found the courage to walk up to the door and reach for the knob. When I grabbed it I gasped and jumped backwards. It was ice cold, like it had been in a freezer. I tried to get my brother to take my place, but he reminded me that it was I who was the fire test dummy, so I grabbed it gently, turned it, and slowly pushed it open a few inches. It was totally dark on the inside, and I could feel the cold, cold air flowing out. I was debating on whether I should go in further when an incredibly powerful force slammed the door shut, nearly breaking my wrist. I was so startled that I jumped in the air and spun 180 degrees around in midair with my feet going before I hit the ground. My brother was in a frozen state of shock and I knocked him down and ran over him trying to get out. He still kids me about leaving tennis, tennis shoe uh, tracks on his face. For the next two weeks, it was my fate to not be able to use the bathroom facilities, primarily out of fear. Although, I did send a couple customers back there from time to time and waited to hear their screams to see if perhaps it was gone. Although there were no screams, I, I still cannot talk myself into going back there. I could sense it was waiting. So, for the time being, every time I had to relieve myself, I would lock up the store and venture next door to the showboat hotel and casino to relieve myself. Finally, I had had enough and decided to do something about it. I was already familiar with cleansing and banishing from reading some of the few books around in those days one by Sybil Leake and another one called Helping Yourself with White Richcraft by Al Manning. So I figured how hard could it be? And I gathered a few herbs, candles, and a bell, and some salt, and I was set. Man, I was going to kick some 
ectoplasmic butt. Or so I thought. I had remembered reading somewhere that a banishing should be performed during the dark cycle of the moon, and with the new moon only three days away, I had to get busy perfecting my banishing ritual. I was excited about my first real magical ritual, but I did have moments of trepidation too. As I look back on myself now, I have to laugh and wonder how I survived it all because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> I even wore a, a clove of garlic around my, my neck when I was working. I still don't know if it worked on the ghost, but it was awesome at driving away customers. Well, the big night finally arrived, and I was overflowing with nervous energy, trembling in parts of my body I didn't even know could tremble. My brother was back in California by this time, and I could not get anyone to go with me for backup. They all just kind of looked at me and said, You're going to do what? So, like the song, I'll go it alone if that's how it must be. And I did. The first thing I noticed when I pulled up in front of the store was the darkness. All the lights were out, and I know I'd left at least three lights on. You see, you never leave a gun store in total darkness. But that is what I was staring into as I inserted the key in the front door. I could feel it. I was convinced that it had turned the lights out and was waiting for me inside. Unfortunately, I had to turn the lights on at the main breaker box, which was at the back of the store, some 50 feet away through a maze of antique furniture that cast an airy set of shadows to further torment me. I turned on my flashlight and started weaving my way back, looking more over my shoulder than anywhere else. I was almost to the back of the store when I looked up in the mirror of that cursed back bar and saw in the dim light the reflection of a man standing behind me. Now, I had taken a few lessons in martial arts when I was in high school, but never had a chance to use it until now. I would like to call it deadly instinct that spurred me into action, but I think it was more like a panic attack when I spun around and hit the man with the palm of my hand just under his nose, feeling it crunch as I did, and then spinning around and kicking him in the stomach, sending him flying through the store much farther than I thought I was capable of. I froze for a moment, staring into the darkness where he had sailed before I picked up my flashlight and turned it toward my fallen assailant. I was horror-stricken when I saw that I had just killed Cochise, our store mascot. His face was in a hundred pieces, and his boots were standing perfectly upright a few feet in front of me from where I sent him flying. I was not off to a good start at all, and I was about to call it quits when the lights came on in the ammunition room. I figured, okay, this is it. This is what I came here for, and by the goddess, so shall it be. Don't let me fool you, I was shaking like a scolded puppy dog. But I entered the room and I took two ammo cases of 11-millimeter manlicker, that's a 100-year-old rifle cartridge, and made a makeshift altar, 
placing my candles and other items on top of it. This is another example of my youthful foolishness. 100-year-old ammo was not only unstable, it was made of black powder, a very touchy explosive, and here I was lighting candles on top of it. Everything was set. I had the herbs burning, the candles glowing, and the salt ready to, um, I guess, throw. I can't remember what I had the salt for. The one thing I didn't do was cast a circle. I didn't know much about that, and I figured I didn't need it, so I omitted it out of the ritual. Told you I was foolish. I started by calling the entity to show itself in the name of the goddess. Nothing happened. I tried again, and this time I took a broom handle and banged on the bathroom door three times. Still nothing. Nervousness was being overtaken by impatience as I said okay and I jumped up stepping in front of the altar and in a single bold move threw open the bathroom door and then turned to run back to my altar. I never made it back to the altar. I took one step and suddenly I kind of felt like when your arm or leg goes to sleep but I felt it in my head. It was buzzing and my vision got uh, very blurry. It kept focused, kept going in and out. I felt like I had stuck a finger in a light socket and it was spreading over my entire body. I was losing control of my body and about to pass out. I stumbled forward and knocked my candles to the ground falling over the ammo cases. I managed to get to my feet and I was trying to run but it was like my body wasn't listening to my commands. And the last thing I remember was falling through the door that led to the main part of the store. I woke up there, I, I guess a few minutes later, and I was dazed, but I was in control again. So I jumped up and I ran as fast as I could out of the shop to my VW van, started it up and took off. I didn't even lock the store up. I just wanted to get out of there. It would be many years before I would understand what saved me that night. I was sure it would uh, have done me great harm if it wasn't for the copper water line that followed up and over and then back down the brick mold of the door I fell through. It fed the evaporative cooler outside and uh, the cooler was running at the time and so was the water. It seems that running water generates some kind of etheric pass-me-not field around it and keeps certain types of entities from crossing as, as it seems to deplete their energy. This has since been proven many times to be true and is a good thing to keep in mind in the event of a psychic attack. In an emergency, you can even take a running garden hose and make a large coil of it and uh, lay it on the ground and step into the center of it, creating a temporary safe haven. The attack should stop instantly, providing you didn't let the entity into the circle, that is. Okay, back to the story. For the weeks that followed, I would not stay in the store alone. And then one day, a couple came in and asked how much for the bar and back bar. We had it marked, I think, about $10,000. And 
and I told them that if they took it today, they can have it for $7,500. They took it. It took me a few weeks to realize it, but the entity was gone too. The people that bought it came back a few months later and said they loved it and didn't have any problems, so I guess everything was fine. After I finally got the nerve to start using the bathroom again, everything seemed fine until the third day I went into it. There I was, taking care of business, and suddenly the lights went out. It was I was in total darkness, and I flew up with my pants around my ankles and ran into the next room only to find that the power had gone out on the whole block. Even with this realization, I went next door to the showboat hotel and casino to finish my business. My point with this story is pretty straightforward. Don't mess with forces beyond your ability. If you're in doubt, seek help. Know what you're doing and act as though your life depended on it. Because you never know when it just might. Do you have Celtic roots? Are your ancestors from Ireland or Scotland or Wales? From Cornwall, Brittany, the Isle of Man or Gaul? Do you love stories and tales? Ancient myths, legends and folklore of the Celtic peoples? Do you want to hear more about King Arthur, Gwydion, Taliesin, Cuchulain, wild magic and the realms of the other world? Do you want to hear about the old gods, druids and fairies in a way that they're not just dusty, dry words on a page? Then you need the Celtic Myth Podshow, available from CelticMythPodshow.com. In the days when the world was young, the days when the air was clean and the dew was fresh upon the grass. Listen well, for I have tidings for you. Warriors are coming from across the sea. Train, take this message back with you. Tell the Fearbold they must give my people either battle or live in peace in half of Erin. On my word, I should prefer to give you half of Erin than to face your weapons. The Celtic Myth Podshow will bring you the bravery of heroes and heroines, the magnificent pantheon of gods and goddesses, and the magic and wonder of druids, fairies, and folklore. Our ancestors would listen to these stories as told to them by their bards. They wouldn't read them in books. This podcast brings the magic of sound back into our legends. A new episode comes out twice a month and builds into a complete collection of tales from Celtic mythology. So just sit down, get comfortable, and join us every other week. Listen to news, chat, and a story from Celtic mythology with the Celtic Myth Podshow from CelticMythPodshow.com. That's CelticMythPodshow.com.
And now, news from the lab. beginning of this show, I shared with you an experience I had in a Las Vegas antique store with an entity. I also mentioned various items that had energy attachments, which we refer to as residual impressions or residual hauntings. I mentioned the old Roman sword in my example, but there were many others that seemed to have a powerful charge. Most objects, as well as places can carry these type of charges and are usually placed within objects by human intention through the force of human emotions. I call these energetic attachments data charges. 
or that is exactly what they are. When we record sounds with an electronic uh, recording devices such as a tape recorder or digital recorder, the sound energy is changed into electrical energy and focused onto the recording media which is either recording tape that is impregnated with ferromagnetic particles that become aligned in a fixed pattern caused by uh, each sound or in the case of digital recorders it is converted to digital impulses which program the millions of on and off switches in a digital memory chip. The main idea to keep in mind is that energy patterns are stored in these materials through the alignment of particles or activation of digital switches. In uh, residual hauntings, a similar process takes place. My theory is that strong human emotions can create energy alignments in almost any material and that this energy alignment or data charge contains complex information about the person charging it or the event that caused the charge. This data charge can be set in a powerful flash driven by emotions or slowly built through an accumulation of repetitive actions such as brushing one's hair on a daily basis for example. But how is this energy being stored in these objects? Through various experiments in the lab, I have discovered what I believe to be the answer to this question. The energy of human emotion is stored in most materials as a result of a phenomenon known as paramagnetism. This property of matter has been known by science for a long time and is defined by the Dictionary of Chemistry as the net orbital or spin magnetic moments of the atoms or molecules of a substance that are capable of being aligned in the direction of an applied field. What this is referring to is the spin of atoms and molecules in any given substance. All matter has a certain degree of magnetic lines of force that are usually aligned in a random pattern depending on the degree of paramagnetic ratio for that substance. For this reason, chaos mathematics is crucial to the study of paramagnetism. But don't worry. <laughs> I, I already promised you in the beginning of this show not to get into any more technical aspects on these type of matters in my show, so I will not be lecturing on chaos theory at this time. In fact, there is a lot more to paramagnetism, but, but I will leave it at this point in my explanation. Uh, I think you have the general idea, which is all you really need uh, for a basic understanding of my theory on energetic attachments. Just keep in mind that atoms and molecules can be arranged in an energetic pattern through paramagnetism in a similar manner that sound recorders arrange patterns on magnetic tapes or digital chips. So with that in mind, let's say you are a warrior in battle and your emotions are to the extreme driven by rage and fear as you constantly fight for your life delivering fatal blows through the sword in your hand over and over again. What happens on an energetic level is that your emotions and actions with the sword 
are paramagnetically stored in the metal of the sword by your powerful emotions and repetitive actions. Now, unless you reprogram the atoms in the sword with a different alignment, then they tend to stay that way virtually forever. Then, centuries later, along comes an 18-year-old kid with psychometric tendencies that picks up the sword and starts sensing an emotional resonance with the imprinted magnetic alignment that is stored in the sword's metal. The next thing you know, this person is starting uh, to have emotional uh, feelings resonating with the emotions of the warrior that used this sword originally. This does not mean that the person will carry out the same actions as a warrior, but I suspect that this may occur in an individual if they have a mental instability or identity issues. Kind of sounds like the making for a horror movie, does it not? <laughs> anyway, sometimes the paramagnetic alignment in objects can be so intense that the object seemingly takes on a life of its own by causing physical manifestations in the surrounding environment, such as in this next case. In the winter of 1972, while I was still living in Las Vegas, I traveled to uh, Goldfield, Nevada and purchased some of the furnishings from some of the rooms in the Goldfield Hotel. This consisted of antique brass beds, dressers with mirrors, and rocking chairs. I returned these items to our store called Spanish Trails and then placed them for sale. These objects usually sold very quickly but before they sold, I noticed two items that were displaying haunted tendencies enough to cause physical manifestations. The first one was one of the mirrors that sat over the dresser. On more than three occasions, I would notice movement in the mirror from across the room, like a shadow image walking by in a reflection. And the second was even more dramatic. It was exhibited by one of the solid oak rocking chairs that started rocking sometimes at a rapid pace at least once a day. This chair freaked me out to say the least, even though I was intrigued by it. Funny thing is, whenever someone sat in the chair, uh, they started getting antsy, and uh, no one would ever buy it as a result of that. When I left Las Vegas and returned to Los Angeles, it was still there, and I had no idea what happened to it after that. I wish I had it now, though, because it would have been very useful for some of my experiments. However, I did keep a couple objects from that location. An old 44 caliber cartridge and a map that I found inside the tubing of one of the brass beds. The map has uh, no paramagnetic tendencies that I could tell, but the cartridge has a strong attachment so much so that I keep it wrapped in a silk cloth encased in thick lead foil, which seems to block paramagnetic tendencies. I have used this object in uh, my experiments to detect this kind of attachment or residual hauntings, and it has been crucial in the development of uh, the equipment that I now have. Over the last two years, I have developed and perfected a method and device which will detect paramagnetic resonance in uh, various items and places and determine if they have an unusual ratio compared to similar items.
In other words, I developed and built the world's first paramagnetic resonance meter that will detect residual hauntings and attachments in any objects or places that are believed to be uh, experiencing residual hauntings. I will be bringing this device to the Stanley Hotel in Estes, Colorado this April as I join the night watchers for a, um, a weekend investigation there. I will be sure to report back after the event and let you know how, uh, how it worked and uh, what I picked up there. Until then, this is Marcus Leader and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network. I am now going to play this show out with a composition from the Midnight Syndicate called Vampire, from their CD called Vampire, Symphonies from the Crypt. <laughs> 